Let us pray. Merciful God, as we turn to hear your instruction, speak to us by the power of your Spirit, so that our faith may be increased and we may have joy. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, so you have a, you should have, I hope you have a, um, uh, an insert in your bulletin. Um, uh, every time I go to the Purpose Driven Conference, I come back and say, we have to do that. And I do it for a couple of weeks and then I give up because it's hard. So, um, so take advantage of my enthusiasm while it, while it lingers. So, um, today we're gonna, we're gonna be working through, um, the, the beginning in a me- series of messages called One Hit Wonders. Some of you, the, the people who are of the vintage who remember, uh, uh, records when they were black plastic discs. You remember One Hit Wonders too. There was the band that had that one song you really liked, but they had another album, but you can't remember anything from that album. And in fact, that was the only other album they had, and they just kind of vanished. They are a one hit wonder. Today we're going to be talking about something, a one hit wonder in, in the, the, in a different sense. We're going to be talking about, uh, books of the Bible that consist of just one chapter. So they, the, the, the prophet or the, the uh, uh, apostle or whoever wrote the book, they only had the one chapter in which to get their, their message across. So they didn't have lots of songs and a big discography like Isaiah or some of the other writers. They had a shorter, a shorter, um, opportunity to, uh, to communicate. So that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> and, um, so we're going to be looking today uh, at uh, the first of them, there are five of these five of these um, uh, very short one chapter documents in in the the library of documents that we call the Bible. There are four in the New Testament, and we'll be looking at them at the remainder of the series. But today we're going to look at the one that's in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the Book of Isaiah. I mean, uh, pardon me, I just said Isaiah. It's the Book of Obadiah. Obadiah is. Um, is the only one chapter book in the, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, and we don't know much about Obadiah. We really don't know a whole lot about Obadiah. The name is, is not, is not uh, helpful. It just simply means the servant of the Lord. Obadiah, Yah, is, is a, uh, someone who is a servant of Yah, the servant of the Lord. So, um, so it doesn't tell us who this servant is. He doesn't tell us son of whoever, grandson of whoever. So we don't know much about Obadiah, whoever Obadiah is. And we don't know when he was, when he was, uh, uh, ministering. So, um, we know from the book, as we'll see, that, uh, there had been, uh, an invasion. The Holy Land had been invaded by, uh, foreigners and Jerusalem had been sacked. But there are a number of events in history that people point to and say, well, that, it could have been that time or it could have been this other time. So we don't even know when, when exactly, uh, Obadiah was referring to. It was sometime probably between 850 and 450 BC, according to scholars, and they point at different events and they say, I think it was because of that one, or I think it was because of that one. So uh, we don't know exactly when it was. Uh, probably the most uh, popular choice is the after the Babylonian captivity, but no one knows that for sure. So, so what is Obadiah? We don't know. We don't know much about Obadiah, but uh, the good news is his his uh, message is not that hard to understand. It's um, it's pretty clear. It's uh, it's got a simple message, which is that people will reap what they sow. All right, so people will reap what you sow. This is not a surprise. I told, told children about this. We understand that there's there's things where if you plant, you get a crop, and if you don't plant, you don't get a crop. That's not a that's not a hard message. Obadiah somewhat obscures it because it's so short. 
that uh, he doesn't take the space to explain some of the things that he's saying. So uh, some of the references he makes are obscure to us, but as we'll see, that they're pretty straightforward to unpack, and so we're going to go through it, and um, by the end of this, you will completely understand in totality an entire book of Scripture. So let's get started with the book of uh, Obadiah. So... All right, now it's working. So it begins, this is the vision that the Sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. So the Sovereign Lord is God. Obadiah, we don't know much about, and Edom we're going to hear more about in a moment. What, what, was the, what was the vision? We've heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. So... Why would, why would that happen? The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. Why is God going to do that? We might ask, we might ask that question, but before we do that, we have to ask, who is Edom? So, um, if we think of the Holy Land, um, this is the Eastern Mediterranean, we're familiar with that. If we zoom down in on the Holy Land, then we see these areas. And um, from the New Testament context, we're familiar with names like the Sea of Galilee and Judea. But we're looking at some earlier time. We don't know exactly when, uh, several hundred years earlier. So in the earlier time, Judea was called Judah. And then the neighboring, uh, the neighboring countries were called Ammon, Moab, Edom, and Negev. And the way I remember that is the word Amen. So A-M-E-N. So those are the surrounding countries on the far side of the Jordan River, starting in the north and heading south. So the Negev is actually not a country. It's a desert. There aren't any people there to speak of. So um, so we're going to hear about Edom. So what's the deal about Edom? Well, I guess our first question might be, um, might be why, why, is why are they going to be destroyed? What has God got against Edom? But if we were put ourselves in the position of those first hearers of Obadiah, a better question might be how? How could you possibly destroy Edom? Edom is impregnable. And to understand why, um, we're going to have to uh, read, read along. So um, it says, um, You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. So what do they mean by that? Well, uh, today, because of Google Earth, we can actually look at three-dimensional maps. So we're going to look at that same area, but we're going to head south from the Dead Sea. So there's the Dead Sea. It's, it's moving north, which means we're moving south. And so now we're over Edom. So we're flying over Edom right now. Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of turn sideways. So we're looking at Edom, not from the south, because nobody lives down in the, uh, in the Negev. We're going to go back up. We're going to circle back around to, to Jerusalem so we can see it from the perspective of Israel. So if we do that, so I'm moving around sideways, and you can see, and now we're looking at it kind of from the northwest. So we're looking at Edom from the direction of, of J- Jerusalem uh, from, from the uh, west side of the Dead Sea. So let's zoom in on Edom there. So we're going to look in on that mountain range. We heard about mountains a minute ago. What, what are these mountains like? Well, I'm going to keep zooming until we can get a good look at them. So here we are. So... Um, so now we're zoomed in and we're looking at the mountains and they look like mountains to us. But let me zoom one more time and we can see that they live in the little tiny valleys um, of these mountains. So it's hard to see on the screen, but um, there's green. There's like streams that, that provide just enough water that plants can grow and so forth. So that's where the people actually live. And so for 
people in that culture, people in the time of Obadiah, whenever that was, they would have said, they would have said, how could you possibly attack those people? There's this mountain range that lifts up 4,000 feet out of that rift valley. And then, uh, the people live in these crannies and crevices all scattered through the mountains. How could we ever find them? For us today, we might say, it's like a- Afghanistan without helicopters. It's basically an impossible place to attack. So that's why they are proud when, when um, they say they, they, they live in a rock fortress and they li- make their home high in the mountains. That's why they think that. And I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go just one step further, probably too far. How many people have, have any of you ever been to Petra? Have you ever traveled in that area and been to Petra? Okay, there's a, there's a world historical, uh, what do you call it, world heritage site called Petra, which is located in these mountains. And um, I'm going to zoom in on it. So that's what it looks like in Google Earth. But it actually looks like this in real life. And you can see there's actually a real culture there. I mean, it was I mean, not, not today, but uh, the, the, this people that lived there after the Edomites, they were called Sabbateans, they built this culture. But it gives us an idea of what the, what the, Edom, uh, the, the cities of Edom might have been like. So this is their big temple. And the way you get there is through uh, these passages called Sikhs. The Arabic word for them is a Sikh. And um, uh, they haven't changed much. In 1947, you see that they didn't have smoothed out floors. Uh, when the tourist trade built up, they started smoothing out the floors so that uh, your your grandmother wouldn't trip on and, and break her hip or something. So they smoothed out the passageways. But it's basically been the same uh, as they've always been. And there are these, these in, impossibly narrow paths. You can't lead an army on a charge through through passages like this. And if you go through them, then you get to the places that they found the most, that they, that they uh, um, fortified the most. This is called the Great Treasury. And you really can't get a good look at it by design. They put it in a place where you couldn't get a good look. And so you have to go up high to see it. So that is the Great Treasury, and you can see the people down below. So that's that's probably enough about Petra and Edom to uh, to, to move us forward. But that's why um, the, the the writer, before he answers the why question, he's asking the, the how question. How can you do that? And he says, if thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes will always leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasury, every treasure will be found and taken. So picture how hard it would be to rob everything in that treasury we just saw. You know, it would be a hard job. And so he's saying this is going to be complete. This is not a, a, a smash and grab burglary. This is, this is going to be a complete and thorough destruction right down to your treasury, which you've hidden so well. And your allies are going to turn against you as well. Next slide. Yeah. All your allies will turn against you as well. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trust, your trusted friends will set traps for you and you won't even know about it. At that time, not even a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Egypt, in Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom I will destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified and everyone in the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. So what God is saying is, is, I can get where you think I can. Or in your outline it says no one is beyond God's reach. That you may think you're in this fortress, you may think that for some reason that you aren't going to experience the troubles that naturally come about, but God can God can cause that to happen anyway. And that in turn lets us ask the question, okay, well why? What is it that they did that um, that God is going to punish them for? So now that we know the why... 
How about the, how about the, 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 now that we know the how, how about the why? Well, the answer is this, because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel. So, uh, because of that, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. So, what does he mean by close relatives? So, Edom is down there, Israel's up here, what's the relationship? Well, in the, in the Near East, um, we have seen, I'm sure some of you may have noticed in the news, that the longer people have lived together, the further back their arguments go. And in the case of Israel and Edom, they go all the way back to Abraham. So, Abraham had two children, Ishmael and Isaac, and Isaac had two children, Esau and Jacob. And Esau, was the father of the nation of Edom, and Jacob was, he actually got the name and, and became the father of Jacob, uh, became the father of Israel. And he had a number of sons, so uh, so we hear about some of these names later on. They're poetic ways of referring to Edom in one case or Israel in the other case. So, they are relatives. There's a Bedouin proverb, this is particularly important in the Middle East, in the, in the, there's a Bedouin proverb that says, that says, me against my brother... Me and my brother against my cousin. Me, my brother, and my cousin against the stranger. And he's saying, you and I have our quarrels, Edom, but you can't stand by when the outsider attacks. Blood is supposed to be thicker than water, and you didn't do that. So how did you fail to do that? Well, he says, when they were invaded, when Israel was invaded, you, Edom, stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and carried cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You hear the, the drumbeat, suffering such calamity. This is the, uh, the Hebrew poetic way of saying, uh, of underscoring the, the gross offensiveness of what it was that, Ob- that um, Edom had done. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. So you see, the problem begins by simply saying, hey, it's none of my affair. Yes, we're kin, but that's not my problem. If they're being attacked by Assyria or whoever it was, that's not my problem. So they stood aloof, but it doesn't end there. Then they gloat. They say, and frankly, you know, to be honest, they had it coming. I've been watching them ride so high, it's about time they had it coming down. So, so, uh, he says, he says it begins with standing aloof, then it turns into gloating, and then you say, hey, now's a great opportunity to, you know, the invaders have left, let's go loot, there's nobody there to stop us now. So, so then you started plundering. And then he says, the, the final offense is that you helped. You surrounded the country, you built a wall, and you kept the refugees out. And so, this is this is a, a more political than I like to be, but you know, refugee policy matters. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'll I'll admit up front I'm I'm a um, I'm a fan of immigration. Uh, I'm delighted by the fact that we have immigrants in our own congregation, and I think it's a good thing. I think that they enrich the countries they come to. So I'm I'm a, I'm a believer in immigration, but refugee policy is too important to be used as a tool for immigration. I think right now 
refugee policy is a political football that's being bounced back and forth between the right and the left, and that has to change. That refugees have to be honest-to-goodness refugees. And if we want to increase our immigration policies, we need to do that as well. And I'm a fan of that. But refugees are important. If you wonder, does God care about people who are genuine refugees, who are being kept out of a place, look no further than the book of Obadiah. They were kept from escaping, and they were handed back to their captors in their terrible time of trouble. So, I'll get off my my political soapbox now and go back to the text, but the point is that no wrongdoing escapes God's notice. See, what, what Edom can say is, look, we didn't do anything wrong. We did not invade Israel. It's not our fault. We didn't invade them. Now, we did stand by, and we did kind of gloat and say that they had it coming. And frankly, once they once they were carted off into captivity or whatever, yeah, we went in and took the, the loot that was laying around. Why not? And yeah, okay, well, it's true. We did protect our own borders from those immigrants who were trying to get in or those refugees or whatever they were. And the lesson here is that no wrongdoing escapes God notice. So that's the first point of the lesson. The second part is this. God will deliver his people. So he begins, the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. The day when I will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. For us, we would talk about a bitter pill. You had to swallow a bitter pill. In the Bible, people talk about a bitter wine. We, we hear about the, the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, that, that there is an idea that God will pour out a, a really vile wine for people to, to drink. That's the language of punishment, where we would say a bitter pill. They say a, a, a vile type of wine. So the, the first, the first lesson is every wrongdoer will face punishment. See, the Edomites might say, look, I understand if we were doing something wrong in Israel, then Israel's God could, could punish us. But we're in Edom. We don't, we don't, you know, your, your God, Israel, has no jurisdiction here. And the Assyrians or the Babylonians, they might say the same thing. But the lesson of Obadiah is, no, God's jurisdiction extends across the whole world that every wrongdoer will face punishment, that every wrongdoer will face God's judgment. So the fact that you don't uh, subscribe to God as as uh, your Lord doesn't mean that he can't judge you. And he goes on, he says, But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be a raging fire, and Edom a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. Picture that imagery, right? We can smell it today. We had to decide, do we want the windows open and the smoke, or do we want the windows closed and the heat? And we've, both, both alternatives are terrible. But picture that dry desert climate where a, where a wildfire could spread like, like anything. And he's saying, that's how great the destruction will be. It will be that bad. And he says, there will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, scholars debate even when when it was Obadiah was talking about it. And so, of course, they also debate, did this happen? Has this happened? Is this something that's still to come? Um, the, the, the writer, the ancient writer Josephus, in his history of the Jews, he said that this happened about 200 years 
um, uh, before the time of Christ, that there was a time when uh, Israel was able to kind of get even with Edom. But I'm not sure that that's what, what, Edom, what Obadiah is looking forward to because he says the messenger was sent to the surrounding nations. He doesn't say Israel. Israel will do this. Or he says Israel will do it, but he also says the surrounding nations will do it. So it's not clear exactly what it is Obadiah is, is getting at. I think the safest thing to say, Obadiah is saying this. He's saying the restoration will be complete. Right now, wherever Israel is, Israel is in no position to get even. Israel cannot possibly get even with you because Israel is on the mat. And he's saying God will lift Israel back up off the mat. God will restore Israel so completely that it could be that Israel will destroy you back, that God, that Israel will be a, a means God uses to restore, uh, to, to, to judge you, Edom. It could be that that's what he's saying, but he's saying at least Israel will be able to. And as for whether it's the surrounding nations that attack Edom or whether it's Israel, it's unclear uh, in my reading what that is. And uh, the other reason it's unclear is this. He says, then my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. There's going to be a whole bunch of names here, so just hold on a second. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And the people of Benjamin will occupy the land of Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far north as Zarephath. The captives from Jerusalem exiled in the north will return home and resettle the towns of the Negev. So a whole a whole cluster of names, and most of them don't mean anything to us. If you look at a map, those are where they're located. But what it's really saying is this. Right now, today, Judah is this small little remnant. It's just a small territory. Everything desirable, people have carved off of it. They've taken it and said, we like this region. We want to have that region. And so Judah is down at a, at a low water mark. Judah is at its smallest size now. And what he's saying is, Judah will be restored, that the nation of Israel will be restored to its former greatness. How great? The high water mark. You're at your low water mark now. You will be restored to your high water mark. When, when Israel's influence extended all the way north into Lebanon, all the way south to, to, toward Egypt, all the way into the desert, and all the way across the Jordan into the land of Gilead. He's saying, he's saying, God will restore Israel to its former greatness. And that's why I wonder, is he talking about something that has already happened, or is he talking about some golden age yet to come? So it's unclear. But the message is very clear, this. The oppressed will be made whole. Whatever, whatever it means, whether they will regain military strength, or whether they will re- regain their geographical territory, the oppressed will be made whole, that, that God will undo what has happened. And as modern readers, we have to listen to this and we say, yeah, but this is like kids fighting in the car, in the back seat, you know, she touched me, well, yeah, you don't hit your sister, but, you know, but she poked me, and then, you know, he won't be quiet, and so we see things like this. Sometimes we see it during the middle of the children's sermon. And, <laughs> and we say, is that what God is, is, is proposing here? Just one more, one more round of the wheel. The, the cycle of history continues. You were up, now you're down. What goes around comes around. Is that, is that where this is headed? But Obadiah doesn't stop there. He has one last verse in this book for us. He says this. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom. And the Lord himself will be king. He says, Way back in 1 Samuel, Israel was ruled by judges. And the judges were not great because they didn't have a vital relationship with God. But they were the leaders we had under God as king. 
But we reversed that. We created kings. We said we wanted to be like the surrounding nations. We wanted to have our own king. And all of our problems have, have been a result of that. And he's saying that too will be reversed. That Israel will have judges again, those who have been rescued. Not just judges who inherited their job, but judges who were, who, who were personally rescued by God. People who have a relationship with God because God rescued them. And he says, and the Lord will be king. God will undo our bad decision to kick him out of office as king. And Obadiah did not know this, but we see it now through the lens of the Christian experience that he's referring to our king, the the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus who came to rule. And the the lesson here is because of what Christ did, this is not simply one more turn of the wheel of history. The history is actually proceeding somewhere, and where it is proceeding is to the place where Christ has come and will rule Israel. So Obadiah is looking forward, consciously or not, to a time when Jesus would come to put an end to this ever-ongoing cycle of tit-for-tat. So, when God is king, things will be better. I don't think Isaiah, I don't think Obadiah knew it any better than that. I think he just simply said, I don't know what that's going to look like, so I'm going to stop here. But he says it will be better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this book presents the tension that we face. Um, we know that things that go around do come around. We know that we reap what we sow. But we also know, Lord, that we didn't start it, that she poked us first, that that we have excuses, that that we were tired that day, or or it, it was... It was nothing we ever meant to have the consequences that it did. And so, Lord, we know that we are all under judgment. And so, ultimately, we look forward to a king who will rescue us, a king who who will restore us um, to what we were before before things went so bad. And so, Lord, we thank you for sending Christ, and we thank you, Lord, for the witness of Obadiah. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.